Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Lord of the Rings to Two Towers. What business does an elf, a man, and a dwarf have in the Ritter Mark? Speak quickly! We track a band of Urukai westward across the plain. They've taken two of our friends captive. Look for your friends, but do not trust to hope. It has forsaken these lands. We're lost. I don't think Gandalf meant for us to come this way. He didn't mean for a lot of things to happen, Sam. It cannot be. I come back to you now, at the turn of the tide. Sarum's forces have begun their attack. He is using Saruman to destroy your people. They were unarmed. They had no warning. This is but a taste of the terror that Saruman will unleash. You must fight. I will not risk open war. Open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. A new power is rising. Its victory is at hand. There is an army bred for a single purpose, to destroy the world of men. You must lead the people to Helm's Deep. I order the king! The city must empty! Where is she? The woman who gave you that jewel? The alliance between men and elves is over. Our time here is ending. Arwen's time is ending. Let her go. Where is it? Just tie him up and leave him! You know the way to Mordor. listening to the trailer for the lord of the rings the two towers and the story is as follows it continues the quest of frodo and the fellowship that destroyed the one ring frodo and sam discover they are being followed by the mysterious Gollum, 
Aragorn, the elf archer Legolas, and Gimli, the dwarf, encounter the besieged Rohan, Rohan kingdom, whose once great king Theoden has fallen under Saruman's deadly spell. The film is starring... Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, John Reese davies Bernard Hill, Christopher Lee, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, Miranda Otto, David Wenham, Brad Dourif, Carl Urban, and Andy Serkis. It is written and directed by Peter Jackson, co-written by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boynes, and Stephen Sinclair. Here to join me today for this Patreon throwback podcast review for the 20th anniversary I have Nadia Dalamante. Hello, everyone. Danilo Castro. Everyone. And joining us for the first time here on the show is guest Caroline Thompson. Hi, great to be here. Yes, no, thank you so much for coming on to talk about a film that our listeners know is very, very dear to my heart. Uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is literally my favorite movie of all time, and it's the movie that got me into movies at a very young age. And changed the way that I saw movies forever. Um, I will definitely go into detail a little bit more about that later on. But for those that haven't listened to our Fellowship of the Ring review, which we did a year ago for its 20th anniversary, I think our listeners can now probably catch on to the fact that we will be doing a Return of the King episode a year from now for its 20th anniversary, thus completing this epic, masterful trilogy of films that have stood the test of time over the last two decades here. So, Caroline, I know in talking with you offline uh, that these movies also uh, definitely mean something to you as well. And I think for all of us, to a certain degree, uh, they've been very influential. And The Two Towers being the middle chapter here is in a very interesting place because obviously it needs to continue the journey of the characters that were introduced in Fellowship, but it cannot act as a definitive ending to the story either. So it has a lot of unique challenges in that regard. Uh, released in December of 2002. Oh, man. I cannot believe it's been that long. I just rewatched it the other day in a 4K UHD uh, remastered version. And I swear to God, it looked like the movie was shot literally yesterday. Uh, definitely we'll get into reasons why here in a little bit. I've already gone on long enough here in my intro, and I'm going to apologize in advance because I'm probably going to ramble a lot during this uh, review, and I'm probably going to go at length on certain things because I'm just so passionate about this, and I have a ton of notes. Uh, but let's hear first opening thoughts from you, Caroline. Caroline, uh, just uh, tell our listeners right up front, general thoughts, what do you think of The Two Towers? And what has it meant to you over the last two decades? Yeah, no, totally. I am. Well, thank you again for having me on. Um, this is, I, I mean, Matt, we have a very similar, we were speaking the other day about how we have a very similar history with this film. Um, I saw the fellowship for the first time, knowing nothing about the Lord of the Rings, knowing nothing about who Peter Jackson was or who J.R.R. Tolkien was just the marketing worked on me as a, as a small kid. And I fell in love with it and, Similar to you, the trilogy is one one entity has been my single favorite film for um, pretty much my entire life. Um, so I'm super excited to be here today. And I'm doubly excited, too, because we were talking about um, on the podcast that I do, we do episodes on films we love over on Patreon. We try to do you know, some, we try to do more mainstream films, films that like other people may have seen or films that we want to recommend to the general audience that are mainstream. 
and then over on Patreon, we like cover our favorite films. And I have been far too afraid to <laughs> cover the Lord of the Rings over there because I'm like, I think it would just be me explaining the difference between like what the wizards are, you know, like I would just be explaining the difference between the Maiar and the Vi- the Valar to my producer. And I don't think anybody would find that interesting, but me. <laughs> so having a place for some fellow enthusiasts to come and chat about this movie, I'm very, very excited. I want to be clear too. Like for me, this is extremely daunting because you know, when, when you know, it's your favorite film of all time, when you know, it holds such a special place in your heart and you know, that this podcast is gonna be the one that is recorded posted up on the site and i don't know well who knows how long we'll be doing this maybe 10 years from now maybe we'll record a a remastered podcast review or something round two i but but probably not and so there's a part of me that with all three of these films heading into them like for me personally there there is this expectation that i've kind of set for myself uh, that I wanted to be the definitive version of my thoughts and feelings on how special these movies are to me. So I, I totally can see where you're coming from. Also, just from a standpoint of it feeling a bit daunting. Yes. With that said, what do you think? <laughs> oh, I mean, like, I mean, uh, it is one third of the best film ever made. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I I don't know if I feel that like literally, but in my heart, like, yeah, this is I, I mean, general impression of this movie is it's a it's a masterpiece it is i mean you know you can sit here and pick apart like you know oh like in that frame like whatever that that one edit was like a little jumpy whatever but i mean like this film is so incredibly technically brilliant and it is tactile on a level that maybe we haven't seen since because you know after these films really popularize a lot of the use of CGI in modern blockbusters. And I think this is kind of the tipping point where, especially with Gollum specifically, like he's very well integrated into the film as like, this is a CGI element. And kind of after here, it opens the floodgates, you know, it's kind of in its own perfect little bubble of blockbuster in my opinion. And it's just, it is the best. I I watch this movie at least two to three times a year. I just, I throw it on whenever I'm sick. It is the ultimate comfort food. I, I can't get enough of this movie. All right. Nadia Dalamante, over to you. Caroline said it so well. They're comfort food for sure. I, I watch this movie multiple times every year, particularly around Christmas time or on the holidays. There's something about it that's just appealing to me, especially at this time of year. It, this It's so... I think it's so easy and so hard to talk about this movie because I love it so much. And I find that the more I love something, the harder it is for me to articulate because there's just, there's so many different areas to go in. And I, my first impression, I was pretty young when the two towers was released in theaters. And at that time, I just remember it being a very family oriented experience. My family Mm -hmm. and I went to see the Lord of the Rings together it, it sparked an interest in all of us. We saw the first movie together and it became this family group activity to wait for the next installment. And so for me, the movie and the trilogy overall has strong ties to togetherness. And it makes me think about my early days of falling in love with movies and going to the theater. I, I think it has a very communal effect, which to me kind of ties into what the two towers is about at its core, even though 
you know, we see the continuation of the fellowship. We're now in the second installment. The fellowship is divided, but they're all riding on this encouragement not to lose hope at a time when hope has forsaken the lands. Everybody's joined together in some way from afar, I think, by spirit as they're reaching closer for the Battle of Middle-earth. And I just think the way that all of the multiple plots are handled in this movie, the seamless cuts between them, it's really impressive, especially on rewatch, which I, I recently rewatched it. And I was just really impressed by how well all of the characters' different journeys have come together particularly with that beautiful speech towards the end that Sam gives about um, they're still being good in this world. And it kind of brings together why everybody's on the battlefields, their own respective battlefields in the first place. I, I think this is, it, it handles the challenge of being the middle movie in a trilogy in such an immaculate way. And What's so beautiful about the rewatches for The Two Towers is that more and more layers jump out. I, I remember my first impression was it, there, there was so much central to Helm's Deep and the battles, and I just kept thinking about that. But the more I revisit this movie, the more I think about the themes of power, uh, environmentalism with the forestry. Um, there's just so much going on, and it, it all comes together so well. And in the midst of everybody being or certain characters being tempted by power and the burden of the ring, there are these constant reminders throughout that there's still good in this world, that there are so many characters who are in the face of destruction and conflict and they're deciding to take action. And uh, I, I, it, it holds a special place in my heart and I'm just uh, excited that we're all talking about it. Okay. Danilo Castro, on to you. So, I have a slightly different approach here than the three of you. Uh, this is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Watching the trilogy, uh, as I did in preparation for this podcast, was the first time I'd ever seen the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I'm sorry, what? Yes. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yes. It had evaded me all this time. Holy this is my white shit. Way as far as cinema goes. And so. Wait, wait, wait. wait. So, so you just watched one, two, and three for the first time recently. Yes. Holy. First of all, I cannot believe that you didn't like personally tell me this. <laughs> we had discussed it, I think, previously that I hadn't seen them a long time ago. 
And I was purposefully waiting to not tell you until we were on. Unbelievable. Yes. That is incredible. Wow. Yes. So let me ask you this. Considering their, you know, standing within the industry. Yeah. uh, How much they influenced with visual effects and how much you've just heard about them over the years from box office to the critical reception, the Oscars. Was the hype too high? (laughs) Or did it meet? Or did or did it meet the hype? <laughs> it was, it, the hype was definitely something I was keeping in mind as I was like sitting down to watch them. I will say I was very satisfied. These are yeah. incredibly well made movies. <laughs> um, I wasn't going to come in here and be very. I wasn't going to say these were terrible. That would be a ridiculous take. Yes, the, they they were great, and I'm going to speak sort of obviously more specifically to the two towers for this particular pod. But yeah, I I really like this one. Uh, For me, just the emphasis on the character stuff, I think sort of the groundedness of this one really caught me um, in comparison, maybe a little bit to some of the elements in the first film. And uh, the intercutting between the three storylines really grabbed me. I thought a lot of the performances were, not only were they sort of given more to do in terms of, arcs but i think the performances really rose to the occasion um i'll save some of the more specific stuff i'm sure for later on when we get into them but uh yeah yeah i the, the, it was it's it's an excellent film and i don't have sort of the veneer of like nostalgia so much or sort of a personal connection emotionally that uh the rest of you do and so i'm coming at it slightly differently but i am also here to say that it is excellently made and it is it was a a joy to watch something nadia that you said earlier about this being a real communal experience uh that that's been my experience with these movies i watched them for the first time with my entire family in the movie theater uh the fellowship i remember watching it at home actually uh for the first time on dvd and i was such a fan and I loved it so much. I ended up buying it. And I was 11 years old at the time. I, I don't know what money I had in my life at that time. But I was able to buy it. And I watched the DVD constantly. And so when Two Towers was rolling around, I remember my uh, my, my late aunt, uh, who also loved movies, took me and my sister uh, to a midnight screening back when there used to be midnight screenings. And, and, and it was funny because... Uh, I, I remember her frantically trying to get tickets to various theaters and they were sold out and we eventually found one that wasn't sold out. And she was like kind of mad because she had to like go out of the way to get us to that theater. But, you know, we knew it was going to be worth it. And sure enough, I mean, it was incredible. And then a year later with Return of the King, um, I remember it wasn't just me, my aunt, my sister, but it was like. My uncle, my cousins, my grandmother, my mother, my father. It was everybody. Everybody went to go see that movie in the movie theater. It was insane. Man, and you know, what you said before, Nadia, too, about like kind of like the annual rewatch, uh, Caroline, you too, like when you're sick. Yeah, I mean, this is like the definition of a comfort movie for me in so many ways, uh, precisely because I feel like every time I watch The Lord of the Rings, no matter which film it is in the trilogy, I do always walk away feeling the way Danilo does. I always walk away feeling satisfied. There's something to be said about the economic use of a three-hour runtime, and I know for a lot of people that can be uh, quite scary, but when you are serving it up on this scale, 
with this level of character depth and also with this amount of craft involved and not just craft that is good by the standards of the time in which it is made but craft that is actually pushing the medium forward and continues to hold up to this day I mean, that is extremely impressive, I think. And it's interesting how The Lord of the Rings came at a time where, you know, we're, we're coming off the back of the 90s and seeing some revolutionary stuff happen with computers, with Toy Story, Terminator 2, Jurassic Park. And I feel like The Lord of the Rings was the pinnacle. You know, I remember everybody was like pointing towards like something like Titanic in terms of how visual effects and practical effects were like blended together to create this giant epic movie that just shattered box office records and captured the hearts of people all across the world. The Lord of the Rings, I think, did a very similar thing as Titanic did, where it blended uh, some techniques uh, in, that were used in filmmaking of the past with revolutionary techniques of the current day and techniques also that we hadn't seen up until this point. Or if we had, we hadn't seen it done to this level. Uh, there, there was the um, the ability for them to do CGI armies. You know, that was something that, you know, you, you didn't see that in something like Braveheart uh, back in like 1995. Uh, yes, you had some CGI recreations of the Colosseum in Rome and Gladiator, uh, but not on this kind of a scale with this many like extras where you need an Urukai army of 10,000. So. There was a lot going on here with that. There was the digital character of Gollum. There's so many selling points to the two towers that on an individual level, yes, of course, Helm's Deep and, you know, that that, that is the giant set piece that everybody remembers. And for good reason, we'll obviously get into that in a little bit here. But I think for me, the thing about two towers that always resonates each and every single time is yes, the story is fractured because the fellowship is divided, as said earlier. But I agree with something that Danilo said. I think that moving away a bit from the fantasy of the Fellowship of the Ring and grounding the story more and making this essentially a war film, a war film where the heroes are humans. Yes, there are elves and dwarfs and wizards, but these are individual characters. The battle that's being fought are being fought by, uh, as they say, the world of men. And so we're introduced then to a slew of new characters in this second installment that are more grounded and relatable to us. And I think that that helps elevate the stakes in a way that ups the ante from the first film. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that is like a really, really, really important point. And it's something that I think about a lot um, when I watch this one is and and not only is it switching the focus to like mortals and to you know like what she said wh what Tolkien calls the the world of men the realm of men you know mm -hmm. um, human beings but it's also like Rohan is not a particularly wealthy kingdom you know they aren't this giant vast empire like they are they are like the scrappiest like civilization we see in the entire trilogy on film. And so it is like quite the underdog story when you go from viewing, you know, when you see Saruman, he is the most powerful of all the wizards raising this giant army of Orakai, which are like even more strong or even stronger and even more powerful than the orcs we're familiar with from the first film mm -hmm. with this small kingdom 
like pitting them against this like small kingdom that our heroes just happen to come upon. Um, it really, it ratchets the stakes from the first film up in a way that is like, it feels so cataclysmic. I completely agree. And the way that it builds up to the Helm's Deep uh, battle, granted it's a three hour movie, but that last hour and a half hour, uh, 15, whatever it is, like it's pretty, it feels like, a very very long time because once again it's cross-cutting against the other storylines as well it just builds to such a grand and epic conclusion that uh and i know i'm jumping ahead a little bit here but when you get to the end of the movie and gandalf says the line uh the battle for Helm's deep is over the battle for middle earth is about to begin you're like oh shit like there is more to come that's gonna be bigger and grander than this are you kidding me and that's how you know that the two towers exceeds because it already blew your mind and they are telling you, oh, oh, you haven't seen anything yet. <laughs> that that to me is incredible. And that's a great feeling. I feel every time I finish this movie is, you know, when Frodo and Sam are walking through the forest and. Gollum has teased the uh, reveal of Shelob in Return of the King. And, you know, watching this, you don't know, you know, what Shelob is or, you know, who her is, as Gollum refers to her. Um, but then you do see the terrain and that uh, panning uh, crane shot. I don't even know if it's a crane shot. Mixture of visual effects and, once again, b- blending practical and uh, CGI together. And then you see Mordor, Mount Doom in the background. And once again, you're just left with this feeling of, Oh my God, they got to go all that way and they got to get through all that credits. And it's like, what a great structure for a middle chapter. You know, like you leave the audience wanting more in a very, very big way while giving them so much already. Yeah, I mean, I love how the stakes feel incredibly high still. And I love that it's, it's kind of like a haunting, apocalyptic moment at the end there where... It just feels like death and doom and destruction. And it just, I remember the first time that I saw that thinking, oh my gosh, how are they going to, what's going to happen next? So I think think it definitely leaves you on that note. And that's why the middle part works works so well. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our throwback review for the 2002 film, The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full, almost three hour long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you.